thanks so much everyone for uh joining us for another episode of built by um this week we have an amazing guest uh charles antis from antis roofing and waterproofing how are you doing charles excellent man thanks for having me on your show this morning awesome absolutely so um i want to dive right in um i'd love to get just kind of an overview background on um you and um antis roofing um and how you got into home improvement and um just kind of a general overview there. Okay. Well, I am the founder of Antis Roofing. Um, mm -hmm. I founded this company almost 31 years ago, though it wasn't likely that you would have put that on me as a younger kid growing up in Oregon in the mountains where everybody was logging or working for Roseburg lumber products. So that was just the way it was. It was the timber capital of the world. But I did grow up with a blue collar mindset and and which is you know today is is a respect for the labor of folks you know whether it's the labor of men or it's rosie the riveter you know i respect the labor that that the toil that we do because that's what i was raised with it was work's going to be a little bit tough and you might lose your life as a lot of people we knew did that worked in the forest logging and so uh that's you know, getting into roofing was just that I ended up in California and uh, the job that I came after the second year of college that I came down to California was to sell door to door. And when I went to a door and I sold this one family, this insulation product that would save them money, they um, uh, they really connected with me. And I loved that. And I really loved this family after meeting them that one, two hours that one day. And the next day I went back to collect the check and the family saw me. I saw them through the window, but they wouldn't answer the door. And I was hurt a little, not mm -hmm. understanding it. And then a neighbor came over and asked me to leave and said, how dare you cheat this family? And, uh, you know, this story, I can't believe I'm getting emotional already telling it, but it hurt me because I, I didn't know this family, but I bonded with them and I loved them. And they thought something different of me than what my intent was. And I quit my job that night. And that has a lot to do with where we are today now that I think about it. But, but mm -hmm. I looked for a job and, and I knew how to do one thing. You know, these hands were laborers' hands. And I looked for a job. And the only job I heard about was in roofing for a small company. And I got to go up and learn the trade of roofing. And that's how I got into roofing at an age of 21. It was the 1984 Summer Olympics. I remember the year I came to, to L.A. And I was living in renting rooms and houses, learning roofing because I didn't go back to college in the fall. And I, I got to work for a really interesting guy that really, Tim Curtis was his name, and he was a really good thinker. He was really curious. I think his curious mind probably um, kind of transferred onto me, and, and he was really great at leak repair. He would just take things apart. And, and, and what happened with me in roofing was um, I suddenly was competitive. I worked for this company. I wanted him to notice me the most. And, and one of the things that I really found joy in was solving what leaks that you know when people's homes are invaded by water and that pain and when i can go up there and with my mind and the skill of my hands solve that leak that no one else can solve that really fulfills me still today but at this point i saw that as i want to do that and i remember the first leak that he had me do i went out and you know this audience knows something about construction and you know the principle of flashing 
And that's like mm -hmm. feathers on a duck's back. Everything above must overlap everything below. And coping is, you know, if you had coping going down a slant, of course it overlaps here. Well, I opened it up. I saw where the water went in and I put it back together and I put the top piece on first and I put the bottom piece on next. My work, he, he didn't laugh. He didn't say anything. He says, that's going to leak again. And I said, why? I sealed it. And he goes, that's bucking water. And what does that mean? I mean, I might not have said that, but <laughs> I was embarrassed, Matt. And I decided mm -hmm. that I was never going to let that happen again. And I think that is what really caused me to fall in love with roofing is that if I was curious enough, even if I didn't have the, as much experience as these longtime roofers way back when I had my, my first couple of years, and if I was curious enough, I could find a leak. And I would literally turn my mind into a bead of water, imagining it running down. And I would find those leaks that would run 30 feet in between systems, drip mm -hmm. off a sheet of plywood, trail a wire down and then you know and i would take things apart and that's really my passion for roofing mm -hmm. i started my company because the company i worked for didn't have enough work and that but when i started my company it was that passion for leak repair you know i kind of put that out there like hey do you have something that leaks that no one else can solve i'll fix it for free and then you'll know how good I am at this, and then you'll pay me to do more. And that was a pretty good strategy, even though I didn't get too many starts, is I got enough, and the phone would ring a couple of times a week. And I was married with one child, and I, my work one week was putting weather stripping on the door, so if somebody did call about twice a week, they wouldn't hear a baby in the background. And because I worked out of that home bedroom converted office. And I'm basically selling, I'm getting starts in this HOA world, like an HOA has a leak. And, and so I want them to think they're calling an office and, and that kind of pressure to convert two or three calls a week into leaks that I can do. I can't really do roofing yet because I don't have a crew. I don't have a kettle and I don't really know how to do roofing yet then. I mean, now it's most of what we do, but mm -hmm. I didn't know then. And so I got a call one week from a lady who had leaks in every room. And that was exciting for me initially. And because, you know, I'm gonna make money and I'm driving out to the house. And as I'm getting closer to the home, I'm noticing that all of the houses are getting more disheveled, smaller, until finally I turn on the street and I see just dead grass where I think the home would be. And I look in there and, and I see one of those 140 and a half numbers. I'm hoping it's not it as I knock on the door. <laughs> And then this is really my transformation, I think, at least the one thing that I remember since starting my company that really um, describes where we ended up, I think, and who we try to be today. And that's this thing happened that was not comfortable. The door uh, answers and there's a lady there with, a, with an expression on, on her face that just was like, it was almost like life's been unfair to me right now. <laughs> that's a harsh <laughs> thing, but it was like, oh. And before, you know, I, I kind of cocked my head probably because as I was about to say something, I was hit with this whoosh of mildew like I'd never smelled, which was really obnoxious. And so then I, I tried to turn away because I had to leave. And I was thinking of what I was going to say as I felt a tug on my finger. And I looked down and there's this little girl, like she's six years old. She's got blonde hair. She's got an ear to ear smile. And, the, and I mean, a big smile. And she doesn't feel the essence of what her mom and I are in right there. We're both in pain. She is like overjoyed. She's got a visitor in her home. Looking back now, it makes sense because she mm -hmm. didn't have, that home didn't have a lot of visitors. It was a disheveled home. We went inside, we went down this tiny undersized hallway 
that was, you know, not to code. Um, we turned right into this little room and I knew it was a room because she pointed to the wall where there was a My Little Pony poster and she just sort of beamed with pride. And that was just this awkward silence. Because when she pointed to the poster, I looked down and I saw the source of the mold smell and it was four moldy mattresses where her and her brothers and sisters slept. Hmm. And so that was, that was tough. And, you know, some days when I tell the story, I, it really pulls me back. Mm. But I couldn't do anything. There was a need there. It was big. It was bigger than me because I had a mortgage payment to make. And this little girl was beautiful and she had a need, but I wanted to run. I wanted to run and hide because it didn't feel like there was enough. But there was also this thing in me you know, that, I, that I got from my dad. And I think we all, a lot of us have this, and that is, no, man, you do the right thing no matter what. And so I'm in that moment when, and I don't know how long it lasted. It was probably 30 seconds, but it seems like five minutes. And then that was interrupted. That smiling girl was interrupted when her mom came in the room again, and she had that same expression. And it just caused me to say something that for the first time I ever remember saying, I told somebody that I was going to take care of their roof. And uh, <laughs> I want to stop crying. Uh, <laughs> You're fine. Because, yeah. But it was, you know, there was tears of all kinds of tears in this. This was, this was a scary thing. Once I said it, I wanted those words back because um, I didn't know if I could deliver that for a lot of reasons. And uh, so I, but I did, I said it, you know, and, and I went up on that roof right after hope, hope, hope. There's just like a hole I can fix. You know, I, I got, you know, if, you know, if you're, if it's a flat roof, which it was, there's a chance I can fix this for $5 a mastic and be a hero, you know, and, <laughs> and it wasn't the case. I went up there and they needed a whole new roof, you know, and there was no way around it. There was no way I could goop it. It was just disheveled. No wonder every room was leaking. And so I, I got on the phone and I got six volunteers. I didn't have any employees, so I had to get volunteers and, and I got, and I got a bunch of goop. It was like, it was really, I, I think I remember it was Henry's 203 and cap sheet. And I just sort of double, double lapped it. And you can imagine on a slight slope how much dripping it was doing by the time we were done, those volunteers on uh, that weekend. But it was dry on the inside and that family stayed in their home. And that is the thing that really defines who, the essence of who I think we want to be. And that is um, a company that high fives each other because we're keeping families safe and dry. We high five each other because we live the spirit of what we sell to do. The fact that we don't always profit from it is a little bit of an honor, I think, for the people that work here. Um, and I think that at that moment, even though I didn't have any employees yet, the way it felt to those other volunteers because they volunteered their time and the way it felt to the siblings that I got to know a little bit um, it was a powerful experience that very much feels like culture here today when it's good. Yeah. And I think it's I, pretty good right now. So. Absolutely. That's amazing that, um, you know, what, I, what I've noticed a trend is a, a lot of really great leaders have those experiences, which they can recall on a dime as having shaped them and having shaped the uh, their company, basically. And it sounds like a lot of these things are, um, with, with Antis Roofing and Waterproofing, there's a strong connection to the community and a lot of um, philanthropic 
um, um, opportunities and you being in the community. And um, so would you say that a lot of that experience has what brought you to um, being active in the community today? Yeah, it, it well, did. It took a long time. There's a lot of little biases that we have. Baby boomer bias. There's a lot of Christian biases. <laughs> you know, biases are, they're just real things. They're real flavors and stains that we can't see out of. Sometimes it's political, could be religious, but we all have biases. And I think that um, my bias was this, like so common in the roofing industry with generous roofers, we don't talk about it. I'll donate that roof, but we're not going to talk about it, is what I heard from so many roofers when we initiated through the NRCA, this Ronald McDonald House give across the country where we're keeping all of the roofs dry today. But when I when I asked that, you know, oh, by gosh, I'll give that roof. And I'm not trying to <laughs> give an impression. <laughs> yeah. But I just remember that the passion of giving yet, do not put my name in that. You know, and it's like, yeah. there's there's power, though, when I answer back what we've learned and this is what i've learned in the last 10 years not the first 20 that if we talk about it it can grow if we talk about it more people will be served if we talk about it our stakeholders will be happy they'll like us more if we talk about it we will be refined and be more genuine and more authentic because if we talk about it the fear is oh my god they'll call me a phony they do people will call you a phony that is an awesome experience. It's, it sucks. It hurts my feelings. But <laughs> it's, the, it's the essence of what, what a brand really does. It creates attention. Mm -hmm. And 90% of it's positive if you're a good brand. You need that 10% negative, I've learned. Because that 10% negative, their little quiet stories or their loud stories, they cause people to dig in and look. And those people, they realize that there's there's a bias there and they realize they may not correct them, but they, they end up really appreciating what you do, even though they heard about it originally in a negative context, but it only works if you're really trying to live it and you don't have to live it well. It just has to be. And by that, I mean, you don't have to succeed. You may try to raise money and not raise much, much, but right now it's the authenticity and trying that is so critical to brand identity and especially in the super adaptive changing world we're in and the super mm -hmm. duper adaptive uh exponentially changing world we're about to go into in some way we don't even know you know uh, escalated by the COVID 19 panic so in, to answer your question it took me a long time and it took this it took habitat for humanity we donated the first roof to about 11 years ago they posted something in the paper they said Antis roofing, donating, what did they say? Donating roofs, transforming lives. Mm -hmm. And it, it seemed so overstated. I thought I would be struck by lightning. <laughs> but what happened is it helped us know who we were. We started yeah. to believe it. The community started to believe it. When you make a bold claim, it, you have an opportunity to catch up to it. You do. The, the public will give you an opportunity to catch up to that bold claim, but it needs to be on your mind every day. And then you'll figure out how to get it. So I'm all in putting, I'm okay putting um, pressure on that commitment to my employees and in the community. But it took a while to learn that that was a thing and that was a good thing. If And, and the thing that I convert all of the roofers, again, what I tell them, if we don't, if we don't talk about it, 
how can it grow? And when it grows, it's powerful. What it does to the culture of companies, the culture of trades, to the communities that surround them, it is a powerful experience when you can enlighten people to get to purpose and impact, kind of that, that cross where that cross where you're being fulfilled and the community's having this impact, that's when brand really grows. That's when brand alignment occurs with people, not in a conscious way, but in a subconscious good bias way. There's a new bias now. I don't know why, but I trust that company. I don't even know why I trust them. I just smile when I think mm. about them. That's what happens if you authentically build a cause, marketing, brand, where your company lives to do something that's bigger than you. In our case, it's to keep family safe and dry. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I want to pivot a little bit into, so you mentioned COVID-19 and a lot of things changed. And what you just mentioned about your culture and what we found is that a lot of companies that um, were impacted by this crisis, one of the hardest things from a leadership perspective is maintaining that culture. Um, so beginning of March, things are starting to turn on their head. I'd love to hear some of your first initial reactions. What were your, your gut? How, how did you, how were you going to hold this shit together? Well, I think I, I have to really be honest on that one um, mm -hmm. because it wasn't easy for me. I actually had an illness right when this was starting. Right when we started to go, what, really? This is going to hit, you know, maybe six weeks ago or so. Yeah. I had a little cough and um, it was scary because I felt helpless. I was staying home and I'm not used to staying home. And when I'm seeing this fear take over, I got really scared. I got scared because... I knew I needed to lead right then, and I didn't know what to say or do. I talked to my leadership team. We tried to poke at it. What's happening? What, how do we lead through this? But mostly what I did initially was believe in the leadership team that was in the office. When, we came, when I came back, my, it, it, when I came back with my strength, it was clear to me what my job was, both to my executive team and to the, to the team around them and to the community, and that was to be a voice of reason, uh, being calm in the storm. And, and it became clear to me because I've seen over my 31 years of a lot of crises, and whenever I reacted with excitement, it never served me. And so, and I started noticing that too, by the way, there were a few things in the building industry that showed up. Um, um, the NRCA did something about five weeks ago that had 3,000 people sign in where they are. You have questions, let's call in. And it was really powerful. And um, Roofing Technology Think Tank did something. So I started to collaborate with people I know across the country, other board members in the NRCA. We started talking and we all said the same thing. The people that I'm closest to, the Steve Little in Dallas, Ken Kelly in Florida. I, I don't like to mention names. So I leave people out. I should stop doing that. <laughs> but we started collaborating and we started saying the same things, man. Right now, let's go slow to go fast. I mean, you got to be really creative, but you got to be slow to go fast. You can't start spinning in front of your people. And so that became clear. But the other thing that became clear in the groups and the people I talk with, because I'm checking in, what I'm doing right now is at that period is I'm going into every podcast I can. If I'm asked to speak in one, I say yes. And I admit my vulnerability in the moment, but I also, we're, we're messaging on these, these things, you know, be calm in the storm. Don't go too quick. 
you don't have to be first in, you know, but be first in line on everything that you can get. If there's government opportunities or whatever, try to get in that. But the other thing was to over communicate because everybody's tripping in ways they don't even understand. People are going to trip right now because there's stuff that's hitting them. Just staying at home all day. Well, not everybody has the same type of dynamic at home and it doesn't affect us all the same way. There's so much going on. So the other thing that we need to do and my VP of sales, Aaron Antis, and I talked about it this morning is over communicate, over communicate, over communicate. So it should look on your on your dial, on your Rolodex. Boy, that dated me. <laughs> on your on your iPhone Beeper. calendar, it should tell you. Your reminder is, yeah, every day, send a message to your stakeholders. Every day, send a message to your team. Do we do that? No, but we have it pegged where we can. And mm -hmm. and we're and what happened is there's a little less of a peak of fear right now in California where I'm at than there was a few weeks ago. So maybe we don't need a message quite as quite enough. But I tell you what, as much as we are messaging. We are not messaging enough. And that's why we had a meeting this morning. Even though we have that trigger, you know, I'm telling, I'm, t I'm a guy that over communicates. I'm telling us to over communicate. And it's not that we're, I'm myself to my team am not communicating enough. And, and in the external communication, I'm doing a lot of podcasts, but perhaps I need to cut back and do at least one a week right now, which I was doing. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago to the community. And I, so I'm admonishing myself the same thing I'm telling the audience. You need to over-communicate. And that's just not now during the panic. Assuming this level's off, it's going to be extra important to continue because the recession that we're already in that we can't necessarily all of us feel yet, um, it's real and things are going to have to get shifty. You're going to have to be creative to thrive. Yeah, interesting. Um, you mentioned earlier that that heavy, you know, blue collar work ethic that you kind of grew up with and being thrust in a situation like this, obviously, um, for, from a leader perspective, you're kind of the face of the brand. Um, did you find yourself getting more into the weeds because of that ethic? Um, or, you know, were you were you relying more on your team? I know you, you mentioned you're relying on your team a lot of things, but in terms of diving into the sales process, diving into the marketing oh, spend yeah. and process. Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that um, I my reaction was very much associated to the size of my company today. I have an executive team that if I was to go into the weeds too much and overlook them, I would I would eliminate a strength of my company. So I've really empowered them to do what they see. Um, but I, but, but we fortunately have a really good dynamic and we don't always agree, but we allow that. And that's so powerful. So, so we're able to really cover the ground together. If I was to go back 15 years or 12 years, um, I probably would have been in the weeds a lot more on this. And that would have been good here. But sometimes when you're in the weeds, you know, you overlook another thing that's really important, just as important. And so what this allows us to do is to keep the regular stuff going that we need to, but to create a, a, um, an atmosphere of questioning how to do it better. And, and it allows us to deep dive. Like my, my, my director, or my, I'm sorry, my VP of finance, Audrey Schneider, she was able to really work hard on what loan opportunities there were on really working hard on collections early on this, because I know there's going to be a lot of uh, debt out of this that people don't collect. And I think we really pressed hard on that. And then, and Aaron Antis became very, my VP of sales, very, very um, 
dedicated and, and trying some different things, as did my director of HR, which was very difficult inside and outside messaging this to, to nurture people, to let them know, hey, ask questions, we're here. We also had another dynamic that occurred on this leadership team where we huddled and we decided early on that we were prepared for a drought year because roofing is up and down. We had invested some of last year's profits to protect us this year. So we early on decided we will not discuss dismantling any of our team, no matter what we hear. That's not going to happen. We're going to look to adapt and thrive. And that really served us because when we looked at our team and they asked questions and they were scared and they saw this huge unemployment spike, they, we were able to look at them in the eye and say, no, this is our plan. And that's, and they believe us now. And so in a weird way, um, uh, I say weird because it's unexpected. We have a, a culture uptick at Ansys Roofing. There's a real strength in the team and more than I've ever seen. And that makes me really grateful. Um, I, I, I'm very sober and aware that there's a, a challenges and I, I tell the team things like, you know, I know this is going to look a lot different a year from now, but I'm not saying personnel wise. I'm saying how we are, how we be, maybe our space, who knows? We probably won't need as much space in the new world. Then again, we might need more spacing between offices because we don't know. We're going to mm -hmm. have to be super adaptive. So we have this great open communication and super adaptivity and whether you're it's you running it or whether it's uh, an executive team it's it's being able to keep this mindset of being positive even though we're scared and nurturing well, another thing that right now is like everything's going to change so much man it's such a we need to try and fail i can't say that enough if i'm not pushing my team to try and fail uh, then i'm not going to succeed Mm -hmm. I, that is the most important thing. We will not succeed unless I allow them to try new things and encourage them to try new things. I need to encourage them more and more. And that's going to cost money, precious mm -hmm. money right now that we need to <laughs> give away. Um, and, and yet that's the right balance. Now, we're also fighting, well, we can't. We have to store it all up. For the, we have to be ready for the rough stuff. But no, mm -hmm. you need to do both. How can you do both? Well, it starts with trying to find a way. It starts with thinking it's possible. And I get, I like to get myself into conversations um, sometimes that I used to wouldn't have wanted to been in because I, I would have had to say, well, it has to be this way. Now I'm able to go, wow, if we can have it both ways, what would that look like? And I think that's what I do on most of the boards that I serve on is that's my job to be that kind disruptor, never at anybody's expense, but questioning why we're doing it the way we're doing it. And so even though my brain doesn't super adapt easy because it's older and fuddy-dud and wants to do things one way, I'm experienced enough to put lots of adaptive younger minds around me that can build this. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And that sets us good for the course ahead. You know, I like to give it the ship at sea, Matt. We're like a ship at sea. And we're going to go out from sea so far from shore, we won't be able to see it. And we're going to be out facing a storm that is unprecedented. And not all of these ships will return. Many will perish. How can we steady the ship? How can we prepare the crew that will go out, will battle this unprecedented, unknown storm and come back? And while we're doing it, who out there needs a life preserver that we can help? I think we're walking in to a time that you better 
have a mindset of adaptivity. You better have a mindset of generosity if you want to be heard and respected in the world that we're going into. It sounds crazy. It sounds impossible. How can I store up and prepare the ship and throw out the life preserver too? Well, welcome to the real world. We're going to be hearing a lot more um, puzzles like that to solve. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, really interesting um, that a lot of the companies that didn't initially just batten down the hatches and try to weather the storm are the ones that um, are probably going to see they're, they're performing well now. Um, their team is going to be much stronger coming out of this and, and the pipeline is going to be full for, for the rest of the year. Um, so investing in, and you mentioned um, that cash spend and deciding what technologies to invest in, obviously virtual appointments, um, a fairly new concept to the home improvement industry. Um, how did how did you team how did your team and um, I think you mentioned Aaron your VP of sales um, was leading a charge on, on a lot of this technology um, how did you approach um, taking this new technology and vetting it making sure it fit right and then apply it to your process well I'll, I'll give it from a 30,000 foot view not being in the weeds on that so you know, we, we are an adaptive company already going into this. We just know we need to be more adaptive now. So one of the things uh, when I go around speaking about best practices and roofing or whatever, I, uh, one of the, the trends that was really becoming popular last year to those companies that were ahead of the game was video, uh, you know, videos, sending videos instead of text to those your stakeholders and to those you were selling to. And in fact, there's some rules of the game about, how it, you know, right now, even before COVID, authenticity is so key. You know, people need to trust who you are and align with you. And so, so one of the coach methods of, of sending out a video is to do not do two takes. No going in that you're going <laughs> to, you're just going to do a 30, 45 second take and you're going to send mm -hmm. it no matter what. It's hard to do, but that, that is powerful today. So I was talking about this already and I was trying it and I was using video successfully when I needed to be heard where the words might not jump off the page and I'm very animated. So it's easy for me to do that. And, uh, <laughs> but it wasn't really happening in our company yet. Once COVID hit, um, I love this about Aaron, um, because, you know, as a leader, you say a lot of things, you don't know if you're being listened to and, and, it was really powerful when um, I came in one day and I saw all the salesmen had made like a hundred videos they were sending out. And he, you know, he had baked that in his head. He went out and he has an app and I don't know what it's called. I don't remember. I don't remember it. But there's a reason you don't just send a video. Um, you use this app. I want to say, I'm not going to say it. It was going to be wrong, but you send out this <laughs> video and they started doing it. And then, and then he went so far with it that he actually came back to me and said, you know, Hey, what about you? You're the founder. You know, you have this weight and this voice. Can you send tapes? And I said, yeah. And and I'm and I because I'm all in and I do love these people that we work with. It was easy for me to send these tapes to different people that we're selling to as well. And so what that gave us is a real strong presence in the HOA market in Southern California, where we serve, where other companies would just do there would be that one guy, the good salesman that has his accounts where they get little pockets of that same thing, but it's not broadcast out there. So this was a powerful moment where we were able to all of a sudden feel in the beginning, initially we couldn't talk to anybody. Everything was shut down. No one knew if we were able to fulfill our essential service and suddenly we're setting that up. And the other thing that we did internally is we did a great job. One of my other VPs is Susan DeGrassi and she spent 
30 years as a VP, eventually as she rose in the HOA management industry. And so she was excellent in concert with me, um, sending notes to the HOA community, to the management companies very politely like, hey, it's our job to keep these places protected from the weather and please help us set up electronic meetings so that we can continue this. And so I think that we were quick we were right there with the management companies who were setting this up. They did an excellent job, but we they need we were with them and that helped us get ahead of the game and it helped us cover a lot of territory when the we had some light rains come through and we had a lot of leaks and we were able to really leverage and grow our our stain in the community. That's that's a terrible way to say it. To grow <laughs> our our what's the word I want? Uh, to grow our market share. Yeah, yeah. Image, brand, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so um, really, this has been amazing. And I, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, and I'd, I'd love to wrap it up. And I'd, I would just love to hear kind of your your plans from a leadership perspective. Obviously, things are starting to settle down a little bit. Um, companies that have been investing and doing new things and, and adapting are going to be the ones that come out of the stronger. And I'd love to hear like how from, from your team's perspective and going back into the community, um, which you've probably had a, to, to drop a lot of the community efforts with, with obviously with a lot of things going on, but it sounds like you're still, you know, keeping your hand in there and building that brand. Um, what's your outlook for, I guess, how you're going to continue to carry on, how to continue building that that culture and that brand um, as we start to get into the tail end of um, quarantine and lockdown? Well, I, I have a really flexible outlook um, because it's impossible for my brain to comprehend what we're going to walk through. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible for yours or anyone else's. And if anyone says they know what we're going to walk through, you know, they they are they cannot possibly be accurate. They could just be lucky. And mm -hmm. so and then we don't know what that what we're going to walk through in the next three months, which could be completely different than we're going to walk through in the next 12 months. But I think that there's a trend that's consistent with our brand that wouldn't be something we invented, but it might be something that we've forgotten about is I think back to um, a lot of the industries that were developed across America, which, you know, I can relate with um, and, and what it looked like 100 years ago. There, a company did a lot more than make money. A company was a steward in the community. You know, I, I think back to the logging towns, and I don't know about logging. I wish I was a logger. That's kind of a cool, sexy thing now. I was never really a <laughs> logger. I cleaned up behind loggers. But when my grandfather came west, he it was probably in the, I'm going to mess it up, the 30s, 40s, he came west. And he, he's recently passed, but he... Um, he was a he, he he pulled beets in Idaho. All I know the story is that's where my, my mom was conceived in in Jerome, <laughs> Idaho. And I, I don't know why I know that, but I remember that. But he ended up um, kind of going west and ended up in Northern California and Oregon, and he became a logger. In fact, rumor has it, Grandpa was a storyteller, but he cut down. He was the first power saw, used the first power saw in Northern California, but. Grandpa was lucky when he, when he, I mean, uh, this, this was a time that um, timber was really readily available and used. He was lucky to have that job, but he was also lucky, fortunate to land um, in a company 
that was really taking care of its people because they actually put them up. They actually protected them. They actually provided medical equipment. They actually had a, a baseball team so that they could culture. In fact, grandpa did so well in that baseball team, he got an offer to play with the St. Louis Cardinals. It's another one of his great stories. Um, but oh, wow. but that's, what, that's what a company should do. And I'm not saying my grandfather's company was the best, but I remember hearing the things they did do. And so I think what it is for a company today moving forward is to, to imagine there's enough that you can truly take care of your stakeholders. And, and I'll tell you this, it starts with your thought. If you won't imagine there's enough, there will never be enough. So if you imagine, think that what if we could do this for the community and do this for our people, I'm gonna sleep better at night. And so it starts with that, thoughts become things. Mm -hmm. Thoughts become things that become words, that become actions. And we are down a path that we're so grateful that we find ourselves. And I wanna be further down that path. I want to wake up one day and know that I truly am taking care of all of my people. And that's a really important thing to me. And it's a really important thing to my executive team. We really love our people and we have to think that way if we're gonna survive. And if you wanna be around in the super adaptive world, you better hang on to your people. And if you don't love them, and if you don't find a way to be vulnerable and tell them you're scared, and if you don't find a way to let them fail and to encourage them, then you won't be around in this new world we're walking into. That's amazing. Um, awesome, Charles. This was absolutely uh, like insightful. I, lo I loved your insights and everything, and I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I'm hoping all the best for you guys. And um, yeah, I hope to have you on again soon. Thanks so much, Charles. Anytime. Thanks, Matt.